Hey all, and welcome to ChapterWise, where I take public domain or other authorized use works of fiction and narrate them for you one chapter at a time. If you like what you hear, please follow my channel. If you love what you hear, please consider supporting my channel. I try to upload new chapters three or four times a week. The Memoirs of Fanny Hill by John Cleland Originally published in 1749 It was now two days after the closet scene that I got up about six in the morning and leaving my bedfellow fast asleep, stole down with no other thought than of taking a little fresh air in a small garden which our back parlor opened into, and from which my confinement debarred me, at the times company came to my house. But now sleep and silence reigned all over it. I opened the parlor door and well surprised was I at seeing by the side of a fire half out a young gentleman in the old lady's elbow chair, with his legs laid upon another, fast asleep and left there by his thoughtless companions, who had drank him down and then went off with every one but his mistress, whilst he stayed behind by the courtesy of the old matron, who would not disturb or turn him out in that condition at one in the morning. And beds, it is more than probable there were none to spare. On the table still remained the punch bowl and glasses, stowed about in their usual disorder after a drunken revel. But when I drew nearer, to view the sleeping astray, heavens, what a sight! No term of years, no turn of fortune could ever erase the lightning-like impression his form made on me. Yes, dearest object of my earliest passion, I command forever the remembrance of thy first appearance to my ravished eyes. It calls thee up present, and I see thee now. Figure to yourself, madam, fair stripling between eighteen and nineteen, with his head reclined on one of the sides of the chair, his hair disordered curls irregularly shading a face on which all the roseate bloom of youth and all the manly graces conspired to fix my eyes and heart. Even the languor and paleness of his face, in which the momentary triumph of the lily over the rose was owing to the excess of the night, gave an inexpressible sweetness to the finest features imaginable. His eyes, closed in sleep, displayed the meeting edges of their lids beautifully bordered with long eyelashes, over which no pencil could have described two more regular arches than those that graced his forehead, which was high, perfectly white, and smooth. Then a pair of vermilion lips, pouting and swelling to the touch, as if a bee had freshly stung them, seemed to challenge me to get the gloves off this lovely sleeper, had not the modesty and respect which in both sexes are inseparable from a true passion, checked my impulses. But on seeing his shirt-collar unbuttoned, and bosom whiter than a drift of snow, the pleasure of considering it could not bribe me to lengthen it at the hazard of a health that began to be my life's concern. Love, that made me timid, taught me to be tender, too. With a trembling hand I took hold of one of his, and waking him as gently as possible. He started, and looking, at first a little wildly, said with a voice that sent its harmonious sound to my heart, Pray, child, what o'clock is it? I told him, and added that he might catch cold if he slept longer with his breast open in the cold of the morning air. 
On this, he thanked me with a sweetness perfectly agreeing with that of his features and eyes. The last now brought open and eagerly surveying me, carried the serratly fires they sparked with directly to my heart. It seems that having drank too freely before he came upon the rake with some of his young companions, he had put himself out of a condition to go through all the weapons with them and crown the night with getting a mistress, so that seeing me in a loose undress he did not doubt but I was one of the misses of the house, sent in to repair his loss of time. But though he seized that notion, and a very obvious one it was, without hesitation, yet whether my figure made a more than ordinary impression on him or whether it was his natural politeness, he addressed me in a manner far from rude, though still on the foot of one of the house pliers come to amuse him, and giving me the first kiss that I ever relished from man in my life, asked me if I could favor him with my company, assuring me that he would make it worth my while, but had not even newborn love that true refiner of lust opposed so sudden a surrender, the fear of being surprised by the house was a sufficient bar to my compliance. I told him then, in a tone set by love itself, that for reasons I had not time to explain to him, I could not stay with him, and might even ever see him again. With a sigh at these words which broke from the bottom of my heart, my conqueror, who, as he afterwards told me, had been struck with my appearance and liked me as much as he could think of liking any one in my supposed way of life, asked me briskly at once if I would be kept by him, and that he would take a lodging for me directly and relieve me of any engagements he presumed I might be under to the house. Rash, sudden, undigested, even dangerous as this offer might be from a perfect stranger, and that stranger a giddy boy, the prodigious love I was struck with for him had put a charm into every objection, I not resisting, and blinded me to every objection. I could, at that instant, have died for him. Think if I could not resist an invitation to live with him. Thus my heart, beating strong to the proposal, dictated my answer. After scarce a minute's pause— that I would accept his offer and make my escape to him in what way he pleased, and that I would be entirely at his disposal, let it be good or bad. I have often since wondered that so great an easiness did not disgust him, or make me too cheap in his eyes. But my fate had so appointed it, that in his fears of the hazard of the town he had been some time looking out for a girl to take into keeping, and my person happening to hit his fancy, it was by one of those miracles reserved to love that we struck the bargain in the instant, which we sealed by an exchange of kisses that the hopes of a more uninterrupted enjoyment engaged him to consent himself with. Never, however, did dear youth carry in his head more wherewith to justify the turning of a girl's head, and making her set all consequences at defiance for the sake of following a gallant. For besides all the perfections of manly beauty which were assembled in his form, he had an air of neatness and gentility, certain smartness in the carriage and port of his head, that yet more distinguished him. His eyes were sprightly and full of meaning, his looks had in them something at once sweet and commanding. His complexion outbloomed the lovely colored rose, whilst its inimitable tender vivid glow clearly saved it from the reproach of wanting life, 
of raw and dough-like, which is commonly made of those so extremely fair as he was. Our little plan was that I should get out about seven the next morning, which I could readily promise as I knew where to get the key of the street door, and he would wait at the end of the street with a coach to convey me safe off, after which we would send and clear any debt incurred by my stay at Mrs. Brown's, who, he only judged in gross, might not care to part with one, he thought, so fit to draw custom to the house. I then just hinted to him not to mention in the house his having seen such a person as me, for reasons I would explain to him more at leisure. And then, for fear of miscarrying by being seen together, I tore myself from him with a bleeding heart and stole up softly to my room, where I found Phoebe still fast asleep, and hurrying off my few clothes, lay down by her with a mixture of joy and anxiety that may be easier conceived than expressed. The risks of Mrs. Brown's discovering my purpose, of disappointments, misery, ruin, all vanished before this new kindled flame. The seeing, the touching, the being, if but for a night, with this idol of my fond virgin heart, appeared to me a happiness above the purchase of my liberty or life. He might use me ill, let him, he was the master, happy, too happy even to receive death at so dear a hand. To this purpose were the reflections of the whole day, of which every minute seemed to me a little eternity. How often did I visit the clock? Nay, was tempted to advance the tedious hand as if that would have advanced the time with it. Had those of the house had the least observations on me, they must have remarked something extraordinary from the discomposure I could not help betraying, especially when at dinner mention was made of the charmingest youth having been there and stayed breakfast. Oh, he was such a beauty, I should have died for him, they would pull caps for him, and the like fooleries, which, however, was throwing oil on a fire I was sorely put to it to smother the blaze of. The fluctuations of my mind the whole day produced one good effect, which was that, through mere fatigue, I slept tolerably well till five in the morning, when I got up and having dressed myself waited under the double tortures of fear and impatience for the appointed hour. It came at last, the dear, critical, dangerous hour came, and now, supported only by the courage love lent me, I ventured a tiptoe downstairs, leaving my box behind for fear of being surprised with it in going out. I got to the street door, the key whereof was always laid on the chair by our bedside in trust with Phoebe, who having not the least suspicion of my entertaining any design to go from them, nor indeed had I but the day before, made no reserve or concealment of it from me. I opened the door with great ease. Love, that emboldened, protected me too. And now, got safe into the street. I saw my new guardian angel waiting at a coach door ready open. How I got to him, I know not. I suppose I flew. But I was in the coach in a trice, and he by the side of me with his arms clasped around me and giving me the kiss of welcome. The coachman had his orders and drove to them. My eyes were instantly filled with tears but tears of the most delicious delight. To find myself in the arms of that beauteous youth was a rapture that my little heart swam in. Past or future were equally out of the question with me. The present was as much as all my powers of life were sufficient to bear the transport of without fainting.
nor were the most tender embraces, the most soothing expressions wanting on his side, to assure me of his love, and of never giving me cause to repent the bold step I had taken in throwing myself thus entirely upon his honor and generosity. But alas, this was no merit in me, for I was drove to it by a passion too impetuous for me to resist, and I did what I did, because I could not help it. In an instant, for time was now annihilated with me, we were landed at a public house in Chelsea, hospitably commodious for the reception of duet parties of pleasure, where a breakfast of chocolate was prepared for us. An old jolly stager who kept it and understood life perfectly well breakfasted with us, and leering archly at me, gave us both joy, and said, We were well paired, in faith, that a great many gentlemen and ladies used his house, but he had never seen a handsomer couple. He was sure I was a fresh piece. I looked so country, so innocent. Well, my spouse was a lucky man. All which, common landlords can't, not only pleased and soothed me, but helped to diverse my confusion at being with my new sovereign, whom, the minute approached, I began to fear to be alone with. A timidity which true love had a greater share in than even maiden bashfulness. I wished, I doted, I could have died for him, and yet, I know not how or why, I dreaded the point which had the object of my fiercest wishes. My pulses beat, fears, amidst a flush of the warmest desires. This struggle of the passions, however, this conflict betwixt modesty and lovesick longings, made me burst again into tears which he took, as he had done before, only for the remains of concern and emotion at the suddenness of my change of condition, in committing myself to his care, and, in consequence of that idea, did and said all that he thought would most comfort and re-inspire me. After breakfast, Charles, the dear familiar name I must take the liberty henceforward to distinguish my Adonis by, with a smile full of meaning, took me gently by the hand and said, Come, my dear, I will show you a room that commands a fine prospect over some gardens. And without waiting for an answer, in which he relieved me extremely, he led me up into a chamber, airy and lightsome, where all seeing of prospects was out of the question, except that of a bed, which had all the air of recommending the room to him. Charles had just slipped the bolt of the door and running, caught me in his arms, and lifting me from the ground with his lips glued to mine, bore me trembling, panting, dying with soft fears and tender wishes to the bed, where his impatience would not suffer him to undress me, more than just on pinning my handkerchief and gowns and unlacing my stays. My bosom was now bare and rising in the warmest throbs, presented to his sight, and feeling the firm hard swell of a pair of young breasts such as may be imagined of a girl not sixteen, fresh out of the country and never before handled. But even their pride, whiteness, fashion, pleasing resistance to the touch, could not bribe his restless hands from roving. But, giving them the loose, my petticoats and shift were soon taken up, and their stronger center of attraction laid open to their tender invasion. My fears, however, made me mechanically close my thighs, but the very touch of his hand insinuated between them, disclosed them, and opened a way for the main attack. In the meantime, I lay fairly exposed to the examination of his eyes and hands, quiet 
and unresisting, which confirmed him the opinion he proceeded so cavalierly upon that I was no novice in these matters, since he had taken me out of a common body-house, nor had I said one thing to prepossess him of my virginity. And if I had, he would sooner have believed that I took him for a cully that would swallow such an improbability than that I was still mistress of that darling treasure, that hidden mine, so eagerly sought after by the men, and which they never dig for but to destroy. Being now too high wound up to bear a delay, he unbuttoned, and drawing out the engine of love assaults, drove it currently as at a ready-made breach. Then... Then, for the first time, did I feel that stiff horn-hard gristle battering against the tender part. But imagine to yourself his surprise, when he found after several vigorous pushes, which hurt me extremely, that he made not the least impression. I complained, but tenderly complained. I could not bear it. Indeed, he hurt me. Still, he thought no more. Then, that being so young, the largeness of his machine— for few men could dispute size with him, made all the difficulty, and that possibly I had not been enjoyed by any so advantageously made in that part as himself. For still, that my virgin flower was yet uncropped never entered into his head, and he would have thought it idling with time and words to have questioned me upon it. He tried again, still no admittance, still no penetration— but he had hurt me yet more, while my extreme love made me bear extreme pain, almost without a groan. At length, after repeated fruitless trials, he lay down panting by me, kissed my falling tears, and asked me tenderly what was the meaning of so much complaining, and if I had not borne it better from other than I did from him. I answered with a simplicity framed to persuade that he was the first man that ever served me so. Truth is powerful, and it is not always that we do not believe that we eagerly wish. Charles, already disposed by the evidence of his senses to think my pretenses to virginity not entirely apocryphal, smothers me with kisses, begs me in the name of love to have a little patience, and that he will be as tender of hurting me as he would be of himself. Alas, it was enough I knew his pleasure to submit joyfully to him, whatever pain I foresaw it would cost me. He now resumes his attempts in more form. First he put one of the pillows under me to give the blank of his aim a more favorable elevation, and another under my head in ease of it. Then spreading my thighs and placing himself standing between them made them rest upon his. Applying then the point of his machine to the slit into which he sought entrance, it was so small he could scarce assure himself of its being rightly pointed. He looks, he feels, and satisfies himself, there driving on with fury its prodigious stiffness, this impacted wedge-like breaks the union of those parts, and gained him just the insertion of the tip of it, lip-deep which being sensible of, he improved his advantage, and following well his stroke in a straight line forcibly deepens his penetration, but put me to such intolerable pain from the separation of the sides of that soft passage by a hard thick body, I could have screamed out. But as I was unwilling to alarm the house, I held in my breath and crammed my petticoat, which was turned up over my face, into my mouth, and bit it through in the agony. At length, the tender texture of that tract giving way to such fierce tearing and rending, he pierced something further into me, 
And now, outrageous and no longer his own master, but borne headlong away by the fury and over-metal of that member now exerting itself with a kind of native rage, he breaks in, carries all before him, and one violent, merciless lunge, scented in brood and reeking with virgin blood up to the very hilt in me. Then, then all my resolution deserted me, I screamed out and fainted away with the sharpness of the pain, and as he told me afterwards on his drawing out, when a mission was over with him, my thighs were instantly all in a stream of blood that flowed from the wounded, torn passage. When I recovered my senses, I found myself undressed and abed, in the arms of the sweet, relenting murderer of my virginity, who hung mourning tenderly over me, and holding in his hand a cordial, which, coming from the still dear author of so much pain, I could not refuse. My eyes, however, moistened with tears, and languishingly turned upon him, seemed to reproach him with his cruelty, and ask him if such were the rewards of love. But Charles, to whom I was now infinitely endeared by his complete triumph over a maidenhead, where he so little expected to find one, in tenderness to that pain which he had put me to in procuring himself the height of pleasure, smothered his exultation and employed himself with so much sweetness, so much warmth, to soothe, to caress and comfort me in my soft complainings, which breathed, indeed, more love than resentment, that I presently drowned all sense of pain in the pleasure of seeing him, of thinking that I belonged to him. He who was now the absolute disposer of my happiness, and in one word, my fate. The sore was, however, too tender, the wound too bleeding fresh, for Charles's good nature to put my patience presently to another trial. But, as I could not stir or walk across the room, he ordered the dinner to be brought to the bedside, where it could not be otherwise than my getting down the wing of a fowl and two or three glasses of wine since it was my adored youth who both served and urged them on me, with that sweet, irresistible authority with which love had invested him over me. After dinner and everything but the wine was taken away, Charles very impudently asks a leave, he might read the grant of in my eyes, to come to bed to me, and accordingly falls to undressing, which I could not see the progress of without strange emotions of fear and pleasure. He is now in bed with me the first time and in broad day, but when thrusting up his own shirt and my shift he laid his naked glowing body to mine, oh insupportable delight, oh superhuman rapture, what pain could stand before a pleasure so transporting? I felt no more the smart of my wounds below, but curling round him like the tendril of a vine, as if I feared any part of him should be untouched or unpressed by me. I returned his strenuous embraces and kisses with a fervor and gust only known to true love, and which mere lust never rises to. Yes, even at this time, that all the tyranny of the passions is fully over and that my veins roll no longer but a cool, tranquil stream, the remembrance of those passages that most affected me in my youth still cheers and refreshes me. Let me proceed, then. My beauteous youth was now glued to me in all the folds and twists that we could make our bodies meet in. When no longer able to rein in the fierceness of refreshed desires, he gives his steed the head, and gently insinuating his thighs between mine, stopping my mouth with kisses of humid fire, 
makes a fresh eruption and renewing his thrusts pierces, tears, and forces his way up the torn tender folds that yielded him admission with a smart little less severe than when the breach was first made. I stifled, however, my cries and bore him with the passive fortitude of a heroine. Soon his thrusts more and more furious, cheeks flushed with a deeper scarlet, his eyes turned up in the fervent fit, some dying sighs, and an agonizing shudder announced the approaches of that ecstatic pleasure I was yet in too much pain to come in for my share of. Nor was it till after a few enjoyments had numbed and blunted the sense of the smart, and given me to feel the titillating inspersion of balsamic sweets, drew from me the delicious return, and brought down all my passion, that I arrived at excess of pleasure through excess of pain. But, when successive engagements had broke and inured me, I began to enter into the true, unalloyed relish of that pleasure of pleasures, when the warm gush darts through all the ravished inwards. What floods of bliss, what melting transports, what agonies of delight, too fierce, too mighty for nature to sustain! Well has she therefore no doubt provided the relief of a delicious momentary disillusion, the approaches of which are intimated by a dear delirium, a sweet thrill, on the point of emitting those liquid sweets in which enjoyment itself is drowned, when one gives the languishing stretch out and die at the discharge. How often, when the rage and tumult of my senses had subsided after the melting flow, have I, in a tender meditation, asked myself coolly the question, if it was in nature for any of its creatures to be so happy as I was, or what were all the fears of the consequence put in the scale of one night's enjoyment, of anything so transcendently the taste of my eyes and heart as that delicious, fond, matchless youth. That's it for today's chapter, everyone. Thanks for coming along on the ride. If you enjoyed what you've heard, please consider supporting my channel. And as always, whatever platform you're listening on, just know that I deeply appreciate the time you spend with me here. Please don't forget to like and subscribe. See you next time.